I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Racist abuse targeted at Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho and Bukayo Saka in the aftermath of England's European final defeat on Sunday night was sickening. It left me and millions like me feeling angry and depressed. And yet it was both predictable and the tip of the iceberg. Online abuse and trolling is out of control. And I, for one, am completely sick to the back teeth of it. It's been on my mind for several weeks. And so in today's show, we're going to take a look at the issue through the lens of this week's events. And just a quick warning that there is some strong and potentially upsetting language at the start of the show. So if you've got kids around, maybe listen another time. That's after this short break. Podcast analysis has always been a major problem for marketers, with outreach efforts reliant on dubious download numbers and a lot of guesswork. Until now. Podchaser Pro is a new service that solves the problem for podcasters and marketers alike. I caught up with co-founder Cole Raven. We've built this new product around audience sizes so that as like a PR agency or a marketing agency, you can use this tool to really understand how many listeners every podcast gets. And then we provide contact information on top of that. We understand how many people are listening to a podcast, how far they get into each episode, in some cases, demographic data. You can't find that anywhere else. Check it out at podchaserpro.com forward slash digital download. There is something very wrong with society when someone is subjected to death threats simply for appearing on Love Island, when the N-word is fired at football players on social media just for missing a penalty, And when a young German girl pictured on TV crying when her team loses is called a Nazi slag. It fills me with absolute disgust. But racism, nationalism, sexism and homophobia seem to have found a home on social media. And much as the social networks talk about trying to stamp it out, hard action is very difficult to identify. Acting to try and track down the anonymous culprits after the fact is simply not good enough. And no matter how much they protest, to my mind, the social networks are not doing enough. I'm not saying it's easy, but surely it's time to take firm action against trolling, online abuse and discrimination. Julian Abubo is a partner at Manifest. He heads up their diversity and inclusion initiatives on a global basis, which involves setting the agency's commitment to diversity and inclusion and training staff to become culturally competent. That means having the ability and skills to handle relevant topics and conversations around racism and sexism and homophobia and to contextualise issues. Julian also takes part in many industry groups and forums that tackle these issues. And last year was guest editor of a special edition of PR Week that focused on making the industry anti-racist. He says he's seen a change in the industry since the murder of George Floyd last summer. Prior to that, a lot of people were just content talking about numbers and recruitment. And I think after that, people started realising that you need to also focus on the the workplace culture within agencies within within companies. Um, so I, I think the the harder bit, which is getting people to understand the historical precedents that 
lead to the issues we have today. That is changing slowly. I don't think we're, I think we're far from there. Uh, but, but, I, but I do think people are starting to, to see that the issues we have around diversity in our industry are related to the issues we have around racism in our society. And they're not two separate things. The reason I wanted to do this particular podcast, well, it's linked to what's been happening in the last couple of days after the, the Euros final and the just vile things that people posted to the penalty takers after that final. And it was entirely predictable. And, you know, when those penalties were missed on Sunday night, it was it was perhaps within minutes that it occurred to me that this was going to happen. And, and that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. You know, I was watching, listening to the commentary, and I was like, do you know what? You've got Rashford and Saka and Sancho have all missed penalties. There's going to be a backlash against this from from the right wing. It strikes me as incredibly sad that that should even cross my mind, but I don't think I don't think I'm the only one either. You know, I, I think that was yeah, not an uncommon reaction. I mean, did it occur to you, or were you a bit more surprised when you woke up on Monday morning and there was all this stuff everywhere? Oh no, no, it it, it definitely it definitely occurred to me the moment Saka missed and it, and it was all over. Yeah, um, it's become sadly predictable, but I do think that the fact it occurred to many people, especially many white white people in, in Britain, yeah, the fact that it, it occurred to them actually highlights a point that I think the the media conversation over the last day also has been struggling with the fact that a lot of people understand that there is there are elements of racism in our society mm. and when a black person publicly fails in this way especially in football where we build so much myth and hope people understand okay the next thing that's going to happen is there are going to be um, racist elements it's it's predictable sadly it is it is utterly uh, uh, what i mean one of the things that struck me and I guess it's this has been winding me up for quite a while, and it's not specifically racism. I'm keen to make that point as well. Racism is a part of this, but just online trolling in general has been... I had this kind of secret internal hope that everything's happened in the last 18 months with COVID would have brought people together. Oh. But it appears that, yes, that happened for a while, but now everything that was horrible about the world seems to be back again. Is that something you've observed or is it just my <laughs> negative frame of mind at the moment? No, I, 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 I see a lot, of, a lot of things at a spectrum and a continuum. And by that, I mean the behavior that we exhibit on, on text, even amongst friends or, or, or colleagues, um, the, the harshness that people sometimes respond on, on email or, or on Slack, I see that as a continuum to the trolling that occurs on social media. And I, mm-hmm. there, there, was, um, there was an American psychologist that coined the term the, the online disinhibition effect and essentially saying that, that abusers disassociate their online selves from their real life selves because a lot of times when you do or say something that, that is abusive or harsh, you're met with immediate feedback from the person you're speaking to. It could be a change in tone. It right. could mean they they get angry. It could mean they strike you, uh, and and so you're able to like regulate yourself when you're in in, in, the, in the real world. But online, 
because there there isn't that immediate pushback, people feel that they can sort of take take things to an extreme in a mild way. It just means talking to a friend and a colleague in a harsh way, saying, you know, you know, where is this document? Instead of actually just being kinder in that communication as you would if you saw them in in, in the real world, and then. In an extreme way, it's people just feeling as though they can say whatever they want to whoever they want, especially um, especially if that person is a public figure, because people feel, oh, they're shielded from, you know, a lot of real world pain and consequences. So you can just level as much abuse as you want on them because... The, the, their lives are, are a cushy, so it's it's fine to do so. Mm-hmm. So I think I think there there are a lot of things. I think I I, I do think that online distribution effect is, is true. And then when you then um when you then layer on uh, the specific context in this case um, football, where we we build so much so much myth around it. I think that also adds to the problem. And I think just to to speak about football specifically, I think. There is a myth in the UK that football is a great unifier, mm-hmm. and it's that myth seems to be true when the English team is winning, um, because the in, the instances of this kind of, of racism, you know, are very low. Mm. But then the the minute someone misses and a black player misses, then that racism comes back up. But what we should, I think, we should do is societally, and I think the media plays a, a big part can play a big part in this is to to temper the, that myth and say we are a society in progress we're a society that has a lot of great elements as we can see with the reaction to rashford's mural in manchester yeah um and we're a society that has a lot of ugly elements as well the 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 desire to for absolutism and binarization i i think contributes to this feeling of surprise that oh you know there's racism of course there is racism there's several things that we have we've not fixed as a society so of course it's going it's going to be there and it's going to rear its ugly head from time to time yeah i think you're right and and i guess again from my perspective that the the surprise that or maybe surprise is the wrong word the shock that certain high profile people are displaying at the moment and by i all right let's be blunt i'm calling about talking about politicians really mm. Is almost too little, too late to me. Yeah, and you, I mean, you had Boris Johnson and others saying that they thought it was okay to boo players for taking yeah. the knee against racism because, I mean, that that almost facilitates what's happened. And then you have yeah. people like Pretty Patel come out and, and expressing shock and dismay about what's happened the last couple of days, and it's just one of these people we're talking about the, the heroes are being called but Tyrone Mings came out yeah. and has directly gone back to Pretty Patel on Twitter saying well I've got his quote in front of me you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labeling taking the knee as gesture politics and then to pretend to be disgusted when the very thing that they're campaigning against happens and yeah. I mean you can't put it better yourself can you I mean it it seems to be, like I said, almost too little too late. How much do you think that politicians have played into this and play into the whole trolling in the first place? Yeah, I, I think there is a, a culture war that, I'm, I'm speaking honestly, I think there's a culture war that the Conservative Party is playing 
I don't think it's necessarily scripted. I don't think they they go into a meeting and say these are no, the, no, no, no. the rules of, of engagement. But I, I do I do think there's there is a narrative that the Conservative Party wants to tell about racism in the UK today as though it's a thing of the past. I understand trying to contextualize the fact that we've made a lot of progress as a society in in 2021 um, from you know 1961 for example mm. it's it's fine to to make that point and i think people who might not want to bring that distinction to bear i think that's probably what's causing a lot of this um internal um sort of friction amongst members of, of society but uh to to see the team taking the knee and they were quite clear and articulate about why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And then to then say, Oh, it's fine. If people want to boo, I don't think that Priti Patel and Boris Johnson felt that I know. I, I actually, I, I feel like they felt it was speaking for um, a, a certain section of, of society in, in either saying it's okay to boo or being ambivalent about booing. Um, so now that they've clearly seen that uh, they've played a part. I hope I hope they can see that they've played a part in the racism that followed. I hope that then causes uh, a bit of, of internal soul soul searching as to how we handle discussions of, of racism in, in in this country, especially from a from a, a political level, because the denial that um, these elements exist, not even on social media, but these elements exist in the real world. That's an issue until we come to terms with the fact that we are a society that has a lot of the uh, of these elements every day, and we're a society that also has good things. Then, you know, these issues are always going to keep arising time and time again. Yeah, I I love to say I've got the optimism that that's going to happen <laughs> and they're going to respond in that way, but I honestly can't see it. it. It strikes me that it is up to at the moment most of the the the, the good stuff that is being spoken is being spoken by football players you've yeah. got you know you've got gary neville who's been on twitter in the last couple of days and interviewed on sky and things with some damning words about boris johnson and the way this was handled we had players line up for five days on the bounce telling us that they were taking the knee for uh racism against racism and to promote equality and we had high-ranking ministers including the prime minister in this country say that it's okay for our population to boo them for taking the against racism and promoting equality. So when it starts at the top, what do you think is going to happen underneath in life? You know, if your parents do something, the children follow. So why are we, why are we surprised mm. by this anymore? You know, seriously, we've, we've got to look at the roots of this. There's been so much division in this country over the last two or three years through the way in which Brexit was debated, not Brexit itself, you know, remain or leave. The actual way in which it was debated, it promotes division. The taking of the knee over last month when the players tried to explain it to promote equality and be against racism was ridiculed by our top-ranking government officials. So when we get racist abuse after a football match at the end of a tournament, I expect it, unfortunately, because it exists and it's actually promoted by the Prime Minister who called Muslim women letterboxes. I said they look like letterboxes. So, honestly, we've got, to, we've got to do something about this. It shouldn't be down to these guys, should it? It really shouldn't. Yeah. It's a far bigger issue than football, as you talked about. 
one thing I did notice actually is there is a, a petition up for uh, it's effectively to a petition to get racists banned from football for life. Mm. Now, who knows how far this could go or what it means. I, I, what I did know, I had a quick look, and it's got 830,000 signatures at the moment, which is a not insignificant amount, obviously. I have my doubts again about whether these things work. And, you know, people boycotted social media for four days or whatever it was back in, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Mm. And do these things ever work? I don't know. I don't know. I think from a from a stadium perspective, like teams banning people for life, I do think it's worked, right? Because it happens in in the Premier League. If you, I mean, if you look at the type of of chants you you used to hear in in, in grounds in the early nineties yeah. compared to now, it's miles apart. You know, um, so I, I do think that idea of you know, if you're caught, especially now that there's TV cameras everywhere, if you're caught racially abusing a, a footballer, you're going to be banned for life. I think that has an effect in people not saying those things or doing monkey chants or, yeah. or, or, or being being racist. So that has an effect. Would it have an effect on social media? I think that's where people go under this um, this cloud of, of anonymity and feel yeah. Yeah. that they can say whatever they want because they c- it can't be traced back to them. Or they can just, in the case of the guy at Savills, they can just say I was hacked. Yeah, that's an interesting one itself. Uh, and I've been watching that. And obviously, the, uh, I don't know if you read the tweets, but they're pretty horrible. And he's now claiming that he was hacked. He, he claims that he went to the police to... I mean, who knows? You know, I, I, it'll come out, I'm sure. But if you look back through the rest of his tweets, it's not just those two. He's pretty... Yeah. Not exactly a nice person anyway, is he? So I don't know. I don't know. I, I just feel that I am strongly feel, I don't understand why the social media platforms aren't doing more, mm. you know, and, and there are different steps they could take. And I've talked to a couple of people about this in the last couple of days. You, you could, I mean, I was saying, well, why can't you just ban keywords at source? Like the N word, for example, why can mm. you not just ban that at source? So if I type it in, Either I can't type it or my tweet or my post or whatever it is just doesn't get posted. So yeah. you could do that. And someone else said to me, well, that that can effectively cause a scum thought problem, which is where you're effectively censoring other stuff, which might be a valuable conversation. You, you, you're, you know, you're, you're doing not necessarily a good thing by doing that. Yeah. But then someone else said, well, why not have keyword mon- uh, moderation where, you know, you can post something, but anything that's kind of picked up, gets gets is is sort of subject to approval if you like mm. i can't i like the idea of that but that's a hell of a lot of work for, for someone to take on and then the third idea that people were talking about was digital verification mm. and you know i mean again i'd be firmly behind any of these things actually i just think something needs to be done yeah i my my view on that is i i do not believe that we have or well, social media companies have the tech right now to employ these things on mass especially keyword verification because we our ai algorithms aren't smart enough to to pick up context to pick mm-hmm. up you know irony satire nuance so there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be censored that shouldn't be also i i think a lot of people who thrive on sort of this like edge lord culture which is just you know 
getting social approval from being extreme and being being abusive. Mm. They'll find ways around that. You know, there's there are many ways to type the the, the n word without actually typing it out. Sure, you, know, you just it 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 it, it, it will then just become a new sort of exercise to get around those filters by just being creative with how you spell mm-hmm. uh, or the emojis you use. So uh, I think it's very difficult to have the sort of auto uh, moderation. I think that's going to, I'm not saying that it's not possible in the future. I, I just don't think it's possible now. That's why we have this um, situation where I, I think it's sometimes a little bit unfair to put it all, Not I'm not saying people are, but to put it on social media platforms because yeah, the, the tech just doesn't exist. On the on digital verification, that's a interesting but also tricky one because it's it's kind of like the surveillance state, right? Because <laughs> what, 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 like, would you have to submit your passport to Twitter for them to say, yep, that's really you? I also think there's there's benefits at times for anonymity. In, in what sense? In in whistleblowing on right. uh, on, on social media, yep. in in states that are repressive, you know, I mean, if, if we have digital verification in Hong Kong or in in Iran, I mean, that's the government can easily just say, oh, yep, that person tweeted, and I know exactly who they are. They can't hide. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of things we we can float might work in this sort of free society or a utopia where the government you know, is, is afraid of the people. But I, I think if we bring that into, into, into play, we're, we're going to see abuses in the UK. I mean, we are, we're already having a discussion in the UK about banning protest, right? Mm. So that, I think it's a, it's a slippery slope. It might seem like a, like a, not that much of a slippery slope in the West, but I think in more repressive regimes, you can easily see how digital verification can be abused. Interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting conversation it, because, it absolutely, you know, I mean, e- even aside from the, the specific racism angle and, and use, therefore, of keywords and specific emojis and what have you, you have things like uh, so earlier this month. Now, I, I don't watch Love Island, I have to admit, <laughs> never have seen an episode, <laughs> but I am aware that one of the contestants, Chloe Burrows, was sent death threats after a recent episode. And the family actually said there had been hundreds of these things. So we're not talking one or two. We're talking hundreds of messages and direct messages saying to her, she should kill herself or I'm going to kill you. Now that is, you know, I I do wonder if if you had some sort of verification, Mm. whether it would stop that because then, I mean, I know the police get involved in these things, right? So, yeah. so now it's the police's job to try and track down the people who are saying these things. If they're verified, you know, you are held to account a lot yeah. more. And another example was after the England-Germany game, and there, there was a little girl featured on screen, a German girl crying, and a guy set up a charity campaign just to raise 500 quid, just to send to her as a as a sorry for the abuse that appeared online mm. afterwards to say, look, not everyone in England is horrible. I happen to know the guy who did this and what happened to him after that, which I can't go into, but again, the police are involved in this because of some of the stuff that happened to him for trying to do a good thing. Mm. And again, can the police really track down those people? I don't know. It's It's a tough job, but I can't help thinking that, if there was some sort of verification system, then maybe that stuff would be stamped out. 
straight away. Yeah, I I think if if there was verification, it'd be reduced. I don't think the the contributing factors or behaviors would be stamped out. I remember I written something in PR Week about Meghan Markle, right, and and Harry, and um, this was I think around the time they kind of left the royal family mm. and, and moved, and within a few minutes of the publication of that article in, in PR Week. I got several emails to my manifest email address and to manifest in general from anonymous email addresses just hurling racist abuse at me. Really? <laughs> Over an article in PR Week. So, um, For Christ's sake. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think, and I think every, every journalist has probably gotten a death threat in some way. Everyone who has an opinion has probably yeah. gotten. A, a death threat. So I do think there is there is something in some people that propels them to just want to hurt and hurl abuse at other people just for the fun of it. I I, I think it's recreational for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. They just say I don't like this, you know, and the way I know I'm going to make the other person feel feel frightened or feel hurt is by just composing an email. And calling them nasty things, it's easier on on, on Twitter. Um, sometimes on email, you have to do the the research or finding out where they work and what their email address is. Mm. But I, I I I think that that impulse sadly is there because a lot of people are just very broken and hurt inside, and and feel like okay, you know, they have a, a right to cause misery for, for other people. So on social media, verification could help. But I think that impulse to <laughs> go on Google on Gmail, set up a new email account just so you can, yeah. you know, abuse someone. I think that's always going to remain, sadly. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Obviously, we're not talking about changing behaviour because that is a very difficult thing to do, and that takes years, as we as we can see. I don't know. I mean, what was the effect on you of getting that sort of stuff? Because I mean, even going back to this example of the the little German girl, right? So I tweeted in support of this, and I had a tweet back from someone, I don't know, someone who's obviously against what he did. And it was very mild. I mean, it just called me a, a nonce or something. Mm. And, you know, I could just shrug it off and go, okay, whatever. But how how does it affect you when when you're targeted with things far more worse than that, you know, but through your email account? It was... It was very strange. I honestly, I don't know how to describe how I felt. I didn't feel, I didn't feel frightened. I didn't feel afraid. I think it's just an overwhelming sense of disappointment that someone out there, so someone in the world, felt that strong enough and is sad enough to do that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was. I don't know if I if there's a word for it. Yeah, just a, a sense of disappointment, really, because. Yeah, I think their their aim or their hope was to somehow destabilize my day, and that did not have an effect. So I just went on. I think it, it really it shocked everyone at work because that yeah. was the first time people saw this kind of behavior in, in practice. But yeah. and I think for other people receiving this the that kind of of, of of abuse might have had a different effect. But personally, I yeah, I just kind of went about my day just in a bit yeah. of a haze that there's someone out there who's this bothered. Have you ever received th- stuff through social media? 
I haven't. No, no, I haven't received abuse. <laughs> Until this goes out, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't received abuse through social media. I've received, like you, folks who disagree with me in very rude ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I've received that. I, I just don't respond. I haven't received trolling abuse. Really nasty I, stuff, yeah. Yeah, I've just received very rude disagreement, which is also a, 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 an issue on social media. Yeah. No, it is, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know where to finish this because <laughs> it's such a massive issue. And and okay. like I said, the, the point of talking about it is it's partly in response to the racist stuff, which – it just it just sickens me it really does but partly i think it's it's that that is part of something bigger as far as i'm concerned as well which yeah. is this whole trolling thing and the role that social media plays in it and do you know what I, on on the on the monday morning after that football result or on monday as a whole as a day i was really sad but it yeah. was nothing to do with england losing a football game and that's the thing that i think is is just I don't know. Society needs to change. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, I felt I felt the same way. Just the fact that the conversation had to be about racism and about the abuse these young men are, are getting was yeah. It's it just kind of soiled the whole moment. Yes, it was a loss. Yeah, yeah. It, it revealed something quite ugly. And I, I but, but I, I think I hope that going forward when we are talking about football more broadly, we're also demissing football as, mm. as a unifier because I, I think some of these discussions happen because we think we have changed so much as a society when we really, we really haven't. And I think a lot of work still needs to be done. This is, this is stuff that will, will take far too long to discuss in one podcast, but a lot of work needs to be done in the education system, you know, to get people understanding our history, our, our culture in more mm. detail. And I mean, even beyond um, the, the history of, of empire and, and, and colonialism, like the history of, of, of class in, in, in the UK, you know, things like the, like, like the Peterloo massacre. I, I, it's, it's talked about in school, but we, we, we do not sort of get a full context of how and why a society is structured in, in this way. So that, that means that there's always this, level of surprise i think that these elements are, are popping up um but they shouldn't be it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a surprise because there's a lot to fix in society as the public we need to also focus our our ire our, our attention on the institutions that that can bring about the most change and that is the government essentially because I, I think there's an element of, especially since last summer, because brands have become more activist, I do think that there's an element of society that then goes to brands and says, oh, what are you saying about racism? What yeah. are you saying about sexism? What are you saying about homophobia? And that's right. Let's keep brands you know, on their toes about enforcing, uh, about bringing about change. But Nike is not going to solve racism. Mm. Nike has less power to solve racism than the U.S. Congress. The Premier League has less power to solve racism than government policies. Yep. So as uh, if we're distracted 
by private institutions and their um, articulations of how to bring about a fairer society. We are going to keep our, our we're, we're going to miss the mark and hold in those who have the real power to account. Uh, and I, and I, and I do think that that's how, that's why the conservative party is being, is, is able to play this distraction games of going after private institutions for stoking culture wars and not actually doing enough to create a fairer society. Because let's be honest, a lot of the uglier parts of our society are going to be eradicated and removed if we have a fairer, uh, more equitable society in general. Mm. My my hope is that we're not just distracted by by brands because I I do think there's a bit of a of a push and pull. I think a lot of brands are seeing that that's what audiences want to see. They want to see brands as activists, and so their ad campaigns are all about social activism, and that's yeah. great. But that leaves the government and and public institutions that puts them off the hook, and I want to see that focus put back on them. Huge thank you to Julian for recording this show at short notice. You can find him on Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.